This one from Alex. How can we get people to eat more fruit? For the person who at lunchtime thinks, well, I'll just go plug some orders into the candy machine. If you had gone to the store and bought for the rest of the week some oranges and some bananas and apples and pears and have them at your desk, then you've got something right within reaching distance. So people don't really need encouragement. What they need is availability. Well, hello there, and welcome to the Exam Room Podcast, brought to you by the Physicians Committee. Hi, I am the weight loss champion, Chuck Carroll. Thank you so very much for giving the show a listen, or a view, or a download, wherever it is in the world that you are. We appreciate the fact that you are here. And I will tell you right off of the bat that today's show is another big one. We are going to be answering your COVID-19 related questions with doctors Neil Barnard and Jim Loomis. Everything from whether we should be opening our windows and can the virus even come in that way to vaccine development and omega-3s. Going to be talking about broccoli and vitamin C. And we're even going to answer how we can get more fruit in our diet. These are all good questions because they are your questions. And then we're also going to be talking about telemed. Have you heard about this, this telemed? Well, doctors' offices across the world are opening their virtual doors to patients during the coronavirus pandemic, offering online visits instead of risking exposure to the virus by going into the office. But for most of us, this is a new experience. So how does it work, and what happens if you need blood work or a prescription? Well, we're going to find out about all of that when we're joined by Dr. Vanita Raman right here on The Exam Room. She is here to walk us through the entire process from start to finish. This is what you need to know as your doctor goes.com. But before we get rolling on anything else, I wanted to mention a story that came across my desk this morning. It would appear that Americans are returning to comfort foods that had been falling out of favor in recent years. Sales of shelf-stable processed foods are soaring, and some companies reporting now more than a 50% increase in sales since the pandemic began. Conversely, The New York Times also reporting that the number of people who are buying fresh fruits and vegetables is falling. Now, this potentially could be due to shoppers limiting their number of trips to the stores. But is that really the case? Well, I asked Dr. Barnard about that on Wednesday's edition of The Exam Room Live on Facebook. Dr. Barnard, based off of everything that we've been hearing about how important nutrition is at this critical time, those shopping trends don't seem to be in our best interest. Um, I think you're raising a good point. If if buying shelf-stable means that you're buying junk food, um, cans of Spam and so forth, that's really a poor choice. But there are shelf-stable things that, frankly, are probably healthier than what most Americans are eating now. For example, uh, go to the store, get a uh, can of black beans. They last practically forever. No cholesterol, no saturated fat. Or right next to them, find the dried varieties. Um, you can actually cook these up from scratch. And before you do, I mean, they last literally for for years. Um, but Chuck, you mentioned uh, that the produce is getting neglected, and that's really a mistake. Um, it is true. I went to the store, and there was no shortage of these on the shelves. Um, and they they will not last forever, but they will last a little while. And um, 
individuals who are consuming lots of fruits along with vegetables and whole grains and legumes are going to be the healthiest folks. The thing that we've tried to emphasize over the last several days is that underlying health conditions, including heart disease, uh, hypertension, diabetes, lung disease, these things are driving the mortality in this epidemic. So people need to be eating the foods that are heart healthy, and that means plant-based foods. So more beans, more fruit. You can join us each weekday at noon over on the Physicians Committee's Facebook page for The Exam Room Live. We would love to see you there. So set your appointment calendars, noon Eastern, every weekday, Monday through Friday. And from that show on Wednesday, Dr. Barnard and Dr. Loomis answered a lot of your coronavirus questions. It's a wide-ranging Q&A designed to keep both you and your family safe. Let's start off with a question from, shockingly, Facebook. This is from Kathy. She writes, Dr. Barnard, I'll post this one to you. If and when they find a vaccine for COVID-19, would it be lifelong immunity or a vaccine that you would need every year, like the seasonal flu? Uh, great question. Um, too early to tell. Um, when, when vaccines come out, um, there are two questions. One is, does it work at all? Um, and there's going to be a lot of testing. It's going to be months of testing just to see if it works for anybody. And then when the vaccines come out, um, we've seen this with the influenza vaccines, they work um, against certain variants of the virus and, and are completely useless against others. Um, if COVID-19 and then COVID-20 and COVID-21 um, are, are like that, we really can't bank on it, on wh whether the vaccines are gonna work. And then the next, and then the other question, which this, uh, which the viewer is, is I think appropriately asking, how long is the darn thing gonna work? Um, absolutely too early to tell. We do not know. Um, and so what, that's, what that means is let me reinforce what Dr. Loomis said, is you absolutely need to take care of yourself um, so that in the event that you happen to catch the virus, you want to make sure that your body is as strong as it possibly can be. That means getting out getting rid of the bad stuff, the animal products and the greasy junk, and making sure you're eating healthy foods, and, and then doing everything you can from a hygiene standpoint. Uh, to avoid uh, acquiring that virus. That's what we're in the thick of now. That's obviously the first line of defense. And then a healthy body is kind of the second line of defense. Uh, vaccines will be welcome. Um, I'm sure people are going to take advantage of them. Uh, what they will do remains to be seen. Dr. Barnard, going to stick with you. I think that this is a question that a lot of people are wondering, especially for, uh, as we're spending so much time in our homes. This one comes from Julie. She writes, since the coronavirus is airborne, is it safe to have our doors and windows open on a beautiful spring day? Um, I, well, researchers have been looking at this question for the longest period of time. Um, and the virus can presumably exist in the air. And, uh, but, but that's only extremely briefly. Um, it can also exist then in droplets that a person might sneeze or cough out. That's for a slightly longer period of time. But still, again, that's rather modest. So if you open your windows um, and air is coming through, the likelihood of a virus being able to actually have gotten from an infected person across your lawn, across the alleyway into your window is um, extraordinarily remote. And the benefits, frankly, of airing out your house are going to far exceed that. Oh, man, my wife's going to like that answer. Yes, uh, and the same is true when you're, when you're outside. If you're running through the park, um, there, you don't, so far as I can see, there is no re reason for you to be wearing a mask. 
even there's no there's nothing you're going to inhale um, that's likely to hurt you nor are you going to be sneezing on anybody unless you are near somebody uh, in close proximity in them um, the purpose of a mask is uh, assuming in the rather un a uh, glamorous way of putting it, that a person might be spewing out viruses at other people, um, you put on that mask to stop yourself from infecting others, in theory. But there's no, there's nobody else around. Um, they're not going to be coming into this shared elevator that you're in. Um, if you're out in the park uh, enjoying the day, you can take your mask off and put it back on when you go into the grocery store. Dr. Loomis, I'm going to post this one to you since I know that you're seeing patients over at the Barnard Medical Center with the telemed offerings. This one comes from Elizabeth. She writes, it seems like a lot of people are presenting with a persistent sore throat. Is that something we should be keeping an eye on? Well, it's, you know, unfortunately, we're, uh, we're, we're kind of at the tail end of flu season. We're just getting into allergy season. And now we've got this, this pandemic of COVID. And many of these, many of the symptoms overlap. Right. So so if you look at at if you look at least statistically at, at, at the symptoms that people with COVID present with, the two main ones are, are a, a hacking cough and a fever. Uh, but there are a whole list of other things, headaches, sore throat, muscle aches, diarrhea um, um, are, are the main other kind of sets. It is kind of a flu like illness. So. Um, but, but so, yes, if you have a sore throat, you certainly need to pay attention to that and monitor your temperature. Um, at least here in the DC areas, there's still kind of a paucity of testing available. We don't have widespread testing and you have to be pretty sick to get tested. So what we're, what I'm recommending to patients, if you have a flu-like illness or sore throat, you've got a little cough, even if you have a little fever and muscle aches, you treat that because there is no treatment for COVID. You treat that just like you would an upper respiratory infection or a viral illness at home, lots and lots of fluids, you know, lots and lots of rest. You can use cough medicine to use it, Tylenol for the fever, on and on. And the reasons to kind of seek further medical care would be the same reasons you would go to the emergency room anyway. Uh, you're so weak, you can't get out of bed. You're, you're, you're out of, you can't get your breath. Uh, breathing becomes really hard. Um, those would be the reasons to go. To go. And then social isolate yourself, and, which we should be doing anyway. And then good hand and respiratory hygiene, coughing into the you know, to the, um, um, uh, to your elbow there, washing your hands religiously. Well, one thing uh, about the masks as well, uh, the other thing the masks do besides protecting you from airborne drops is in, in theory, it keeps you from touching it. So what, what can happen is you touch a surface that's got the virus, you transfer it to your hands. Uh, that's not going to get you sick. It has to enter your body. And, and that can be through your eyes, your nose, or your mouth. And so by wearing the, the, the mask, it keeps you from touching your nose and that. That's another reason, theoretically, why a mask might be beneficial. Dr. Barnard, coming back to you for this one, it comes from Charlie. He writes in, my mother is in her 80s and lives in a nursing home. She's been diabetic for many years, and I'm concerned that I should bring her home until this whole thing passes over. He says that he knows people in LA are considering doing that. Is that something he should be thinking about doing? Oh, you you did. Dr. Barnard? He's muted. There we go. go. I thought you could hear me telepathically. (laughs) Um, Okay, Uh, it's a great question. Uh, His mother's in a nursing home. Uh, Should he bring her home? Uh, She's got diabetes. Um, The the, the things that you're thinking about uh, about are, number one, she's in a place where she's surrounded by lots of nursing staff and lots of other people. 
And I'm sure what is in the back of his mind is if the virus enters in there, could it be spread all around and could she be vulnerable? That's one consideration. The other consideration is that she has diabetes and she's elderly. Those are risk factors for doing badly if you get the disease. Um, and if he is thinking, if she's home with me, then there are not so many other people around and I can cook her a healthy, low-fat, vegan diet that will get her diabetes in the best possible control. There are some advantages um, there. Um, now, this nursing home staff is going to say, when, when the, 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 our viewer calls, it's going to say, don't you come in here. Um, stay away. We don't want you introducing the virus to our community. So anyway, those, those are all the issues, and, and obviously the decision is yours. All right, and uh, going to stick with you for this one as well. This comes to us from Mark in Italy, all the way over in Italy. I remember hearing Dr. Barnard saying not to eat broccoli raw. Can you confirm this, and why is that, and if other veggies are the same? Um, okay, great question. Um, broccoli is in a group called cruciferous vegetables. That's broccoli, cauliflower, kale, collards, Brussels sprouts. These are really healthy foods. Um, what they do, uh, among many other things, you know, they have calcium, they have iron, they have lots of good nutrients in them. But one other thing they do is they stimulate the liver to make more of the enzymes that detoxify your body. They help you eliminate toxins that you might have inhaled or ingested. So that's good. Um, but uh, the cruciferous vegetables, they are ideally cooked a little bit because they do have some natural toxins that are removed on even rather modest um, cooking. Now that said, um, there are some health advocates who say, no, you can put the raw kale right in your smoothie with no problems at all. Um, I'm going to let them get away with that. that may, there, there may be something to that. But I have uh, heard and, 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 and read in the scientific articles that I've seen um, have suggested that cooking uh, the cruciferous vegetables does uh, allow some detoxification. Uh, Dr. Loomis, I don't know if you have a different perspective on that. Well, it's interesting. The whole question about cooked versus raw, from what I've read about the cruciferous vegetables, there are some, some compounds that are beneficial, which are deactivated when we cook them. And there's some that aren't activated when we do cook them, right? So when we cook vegetables, sometimes that activates compounds. So if we eat it raw, that those aren't activated. So, uh, you know, tomatoes is an interesting example. Tomatoes, if you cook tomatoes, the lycopene uh, concentration goes up, and lycopene is one of the important kind of uh, um, um, flavones that that help uh, have a positive health effect. Help maybe help prevent certain kinds of cancers on and So I take a fairly practical approach, and I eat, I, I cook a lot and roast a lot of broccoli and cauliflower and Brussels sprouts, and then I also shave them thin and put them in salads. And so I, I kind of take a pragmatic approach and have some of my cruciferous vegetables raw and some of them cooked. And that way I'm, I'm getting the benefits of the uncooked plus the cooked. Um, um, uh, I probably cook more than I cook more than I eat raw, but I do eat raw. I think there is some, there, there are some, there is some benefit to eating some of the cruciferous vegetables raw. Great. Thank you. So you're sort of hedging your bets. Yeah, there we go. That's Thank right. You. Thank you. Back to you, Chuck. Next question comes to us from April. Dr. Loomis, we're going to kick this back over to you because this is kind of what we were talking about earlier. She writes, do you recommend eating omega-3s like flax, chia, and hemp seeds with vegetables to help with absorption? Um, yeah, I just, I, you know, again, I don't, sep when I, the, w the way I consume them personally, I don't, I don't, separate all that stuff out. So if I'm going to make oatmeal, I'll put in two or three tablespoons of flaxseed. If I'm going to, um, if I'm going to, um, 
make a salad, I'll throw on a couple tablespoons of hemp seed. Um, I don't just eat flaxseed or hemp seed in and of itself. Uh, that would be, I don't think that would taste very good. Um, you know, I put walnuts on salads. I might put um, uh, walnuts in, in whole grain waffles. Um, so I, I just mix those things in to my day-to-day cooking. I might put uh, pumpkin seeds on top of a soup or throw some um, um, uh, pumpkin seeds, pepitos in, in a salad. So um, I, I personally don't separate the two. It's just part of what I eat, you know, well-balanced, whole food, plant-based diet, which includes servings of these high omega-3 uh, vegetables, uh, 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 foods, uh, stuffs every day. Dr. Barnard, this one comes to us from Stephanie. She writes, my husband has high triglycerides over 500, which he says is a family trait. He eats vegan at home. Does he still need meds to protect himself? Okay, great question. Um, tri- triglycerides for people who, who, for whom that's a new word, they're really fat particles in your blood. Um, and your doctor will measure them along with your regular cholesterol test and we'll, and we'll mention your triglycerides. I'd love to see them below about 150 on the blood test. Um, but they're going to bounce around. Um, they will change a lot. Um, and for a person who is kind of sort of vegan, um, this is a good time to be completely vegan and get away from all animal products. But there's one more thing to it. And that is, this is a good time to also go a step further and avoid sugar and overly processed foods. Um, if you eat, let's say you sit down and eat half a loaf of white bread, your triglycerides are going to go up. Um, that's true with sugary stuff too. Um, so getting away from the animal products, Job one, getting away from the overly processed, and when I say processed, I mean really uh, flour, sugar. Those are the things that for some people are going to boost their triglycerides. Not for everybody, but if you're in the high triglyceride group, uh, try that change and you'll see. Dr. Loomis, this one is for you. I'm not sure that, um, you tell me, any recommendations if you end up with unexplained myocarditis that could possibly be from the virus? This is from Amber. She says, my husband right now has an EF of 25%. His blood pressure, his cholesterol, they're both great. He has no blockages. How long should it take for him to go back to normal? So um, so there there are many viruses that can cause um, uh, myocarditis, uh, which is just a general inflammation of the heart muscle. Um, sometimes that damage is transient, and just with time and healing, the heart function comes back. Sometimes it can be more permanent. And there's really no way to know. Um, there, as far as the myocarditis caused specifically from COVID, um, you know, this is all really too new to see what, to, what the long-term effects on heart are, lungs are, because we just don't have that many people that, you know, many of these patients, the older patients who develop myocarditis, unfortunately don't survive. And so we don't really have a ton of data to see what that time frames might be. Um, you know, in my clinical experience with other types of viral myocarditis, you know, oftentimes um, heart function will slowly return over, over a couple of months after uh, the acute illness is over. But um, there's, it's really hard to predict that. And if I could just go back and make one more comment about the triglycerides, by the way, um, alcohol is another big driver of triglycerides. The other thing about treatment is there are no studies that have shown that high triglycerides are a risk factor for heart disease, but there are no studies that show that lowering your triglycerides with medication, uh, lowers your risk for heart disease or, or death from heart disease. Uh, but as Dr. Barnard said, I, you know, the, the key here really is if you've got a family uh, predisposition, you, you, 
you may not be able to have any excess you know, processed stuff if you want to have normal triglycerides. Um, Final two questions. We're going to take these rapid fire. Uh, Dr. Loomis, let's stick with you. Final one for you. This one comes from Trisha on Facebook. She writes, what if you have something like Crohn's disease? Are you doomed? So, no, you're not, definitely not doomed. Um, the the um, Crohn's disease in and of itself uh, shouldn't uh, put you at increased risk. However, uh, some of the medications that are used to treat Crohn's disease, in particular the immunomodulators, um, that sometimes I'm not talking about the topical medicines that you either take as a pill or you take as an enema. I'm talking about the injectable immunomodulators. Uh, those may increase your risk, in fact. Um, what's interesting about Crohn's disease is there is a lot of evidence that a whole food plant-based diet can really help uh, reset gut, healthy gut bacteria and decrease a lot of the inflammation and, and help people get off some of their medicines. So again, um, uh, same with rheumatoid arthritis. Rheumatoid arthritis in and of itself doesn't increase your risk, but the treatments for it can. And we know that plant-based diets, any kind of autoimmune disease, frankly, plant-based diets have been shown to, to, to help improve the chronic inflammation that's the underlying trigger for those diseases. Dr. Barnard, ending with you, practical advice in 30 seconds or less. This one from Alex. How can we get people to eat more fruit? <laughs> well, first of all, I think of fruit for many people. It's a terrific dessert, but also a great snack. And for the person who at, at, at lunchtime thinks, well, I'll just go plug some uh, quarters into the candy machine. If you had gone to the store and bought not just the fruit you wanted that day, but abundance for the rest of the week, some oranges and some bananas and apples and pears, and have them at your desk, have them at home, then you've got something right within reaching distance. So um, people don't really need encouragement. What they need is availability. Buy extra, have it there, share it around, and it'll be part of your diet. The future is now in terms of doctor's visits. This COVID-19 pandemic is forcing thousands of patients to explore a new way of getting a diagnosis. Gone are the waiting rooms and examining room tables covered in paper that crinkle so loudly every time you sit down on them. In fact, those tables are gone altogether because an increasing number of doctors are making modern day house calls with something called telemedicine. For the patient, it's just like going to the doctor's office, but without ever having to leave the comfort of their own home. And doctors are saying that the virtual visit can be just as effective as anything done face-to-face. -face. But since this is a brand new concept to so many of us, I wanted to welcome Dr. Vanita Raman to the show. Now, she has been tapping into telehealth at the Barnard Medical Center, and she is joining us now to take us through the entire process, step by step. How does it work? What do you need to know? And what if you need a prescription? What about blood work? You know, everything that you would expect from the in-person trip to the doctor's office? Only now, everything is online. Continuing here on a special edition of the Exam Room Podcast brought to you by the Physicians Committee with the weight loss champion Chuck Carroll. Telemed, it's such a new concept for so many of us. It doesn't matter if you're 15 years old or you're 85 years old. There's a pretty good chance that you haven't yet used it. And 
It just so happens that it's available at the Barnard Medical Center, and now with everybody holed up in their homes and a lot of doctors not having their offices open, a lot of them are doing telemed, so it's a great time to introduce you to that concept, and for that, we welcome to the show Dr. Vanita Raman. Welcome back to the show. Thanks, Chuck. How are you and your family doing? You know, we're doing really well. It's it's been a relatively seamless transition. We, uh, my husband and I are able to work. I'm able to see patients because of telehealth. Uh, I think it's probably been hardest for the kids. I think they miss the school. They miss the structure. They miss their friends. The kids so. miss school? Wow. Yeah, they actually do. <laughs> you may have the best kids in the entire world. I'd be celebrating right about now. And they're good kids. I can't complain. <laughs> Okay. Well, I think that, um, you know, a lot of people are rightfully concerned uh, about the coronavirus. You know, it's going around uh, here in uh, the D.C., Maryland, Virginia area. We have been ordered to stay at home, not even allowed out unless it's for uh, an essential purpose. And I think that that's really the vast majority of states. So if you can't go out, let's bring the doctor's office to you. Telemedicine. Um can you just kind of walk us through this process? How does it work? How similar is it to a regular patient visit? Yeah, so, uh, you know, it's, it's actually amazing technology. Um, and we were doing this at Barnard Medical even before the COVID-19 outbreak. So we are pretty comfortable doing it. But it's, remember the days of the house calls where the doctors would go to the patient's home, they would examine them, talk to them, prescribe medication, order labs, whatever. It's actually very similar to that, but we don't need to step into someone's home. We can do it sitting in our office or in our home, and we can see our patients remotely. And it's a, um, it's a great marvel of technology. It's wonderful. So you mentioned technology. What is what does the person need? Just a computer or a smartphone? Yeah. So they need two things. They need access to the internet. So they can either access through their smartphone, they can access through their laptop or tablet, and then they would use the app for the telehealth platform, log in, and it's as simple as that. And then there will be a button saying, you know, I'm ready. And then the doctor will push their button on their end and say, let's start the appointment. And it's literally that simple. So you and I are uh, talking via Skype right now. I would imagine this app that is used, it's very similar, right? Exactly. Yeah. So we use a, a platform called Chiron that we use, and it's very similar. It's really no different than what you and I are doing right now. We are looking at each other and, you know, it's almost like I'm sitting across from you speaking with you, Chuck. And, and that's what the patient experience is like, too, is I feel like I'm sitting across from my patients and speaking to them and I can see them. They can see me and we can talk about whatever is going on with their health. What about uh, the elderly patients who may not have the smartphone, may not have a laptop or a computer in their home? Believe it or not, there are people out there that just they're not up to date on the technology. Is it possible just to do a phone visit? Absolutely. You know, and that's uh, one of the great things right now is how flexible insurance carriers are being. For example, DC Medicaid will now um, cover telephone only visits, which is great. So some of our patients don't have uh, access to a laptop or a smartphone, or they may not feel comfortable using it, and then we will just call them. We will schedule the appointment like we normally would and get their phone number, and I will call them when it's appointment time, and we'll go through you know, whatever concerns they have and how I can help them. 
I'm glad that you brought up the the DC Medicaid. I was wondering, insurance, it works identical with telemed as it does with an in-office visit? Yeah, you know, even before the outbreak started, a lot of insurance carriers were seeing the benefit in telehealth and seeing that remote visits are actually uh, more desirable. In some cases, they're safer. For example, if someone has the flu, we don't necessarily want them to come into the clinic because they may um, expose others. And similarly, while they're in our clinic, they may get exposed to other pathogens that are going around, like a stomach bug or a respiratory bug. So they may bring it in or they may take it back. So it's always safer if um, we can just see them remotely. So a lot of carriers were covering it before, and now most of them are covering telehealth, you know, with the current situation. So let's talk about making a diagnosis from afar. Uh, Obviously, you can't check a person's temperature, you can't check their uh, blood pressure, you know, get their vitals like that. How do you actually work to get the diagnosis? So, you know, when uh, when I was a medical student, uh, a great attending told me, he said, you know, sir, um, William Osler used to say, listen to your patient. He's giving you the diagnosis. And what that really means is the most important aspect of our patient visit is that history is what my patients tell me, um, you know, when I hear it from their perspective, that is the most important part in me figuring out what's going on with their health. So the fact that I can talk to them and hear what's going on is crucial, but we can do somewhat of a physical exam too. Just actually talking to you right now, Chuck, I can tell that you're doing well, you're healthy, you look vibrant, you look happy, you look energetic. Thank you. (laughs) So you don't look like someone I need to worry about. On the other hand, if someone is really sick or ill, I can see that. I can pick that up in their tone, in their voice, in their energy level, and it can offer very valuable information. And then, you know, other things you talked about, like checking their temperature or blood pressure. Obviously, we cannot do that ourselves, but now patients can check their temperature and tell me, and I've done that with several patients. They're ready. You know, they're worried about COVID-19. They're sitting there. They're ready with their thermometer and and they check it right in front of me and they say, this is what I have. Or even patients who have high blood pressure will have their cuff ready and they'll measure it right in front of me and then we'll go through the numbers and see um, what to do from there. That's uh, Yeah, you know, it's, uh, it strikes me like a lot, how many people probably do have a blood pressure cuff at home. My wife and I actually have one um, just because. Um, you know, who knew? So are you finding that a, a good number of your patients actually have this? I would assume everybody has a thermometer, but even things like the blood pressure cuff, you seeing a good number? Yeah. So, well, actually I find a lot of people don't have thermometers. So it's, it's you're kidding. No, it's, it's not surprising how often, um, patients will say that, you know, they don't have a thermometer and they kind of did the forehead test. So I encourage everyone if they're worried about a fever or respiratory symptoms, especially now to just invest in a simple drugstore thermometer so that they can have peace of mind um, about their temperature. And as far as blood pressure cuff, a lot of patients who do have high blood pressure have them, but some don't for various reasons. And then we talk to them about, you know, options for measuring their blood pressure. But I would say you're right in that the majority of them do. So what if you talk to somebody and you need to see some blood work? How would, uh, how does that process work? 
Yeah, so really no different than in the clinic. I can order blood tests for them to go to their local lab. Um, in this area, we have various labs that are close to most people. And we just pick the lab that's convenient for the patient. And we and I'll order the labs. I'll tell them if they need to fast or not. And, um, and we will mail their orders to them or email them or snail mail them to them. And then they can just take the lab slip and go. And... And in fact, the labs are being great, too, because they're offering appointments and they will allow patients to check in outside the facility. So from their car or just standing outside using their smartphone, and then they will send a message to them saying, we are ready for you to come in now so that patients can minimize their exposure to the healthcare facility as they're getting the labs done. They don't have to wait in the waiting room. I didn't know that was going on. That's pretty smart. Yeah, yeah, that's great because, you know, with uh, with COVID-19 or even with just other respiratory pathogens, a sneeze, a cough can expose others. So it's really important. I would assume prescriptions work the same way. You just call it into their local pharmacy. Yeah, exactly. So people either use mail order pharmacy. A lot of them are using that now just so they don't have to go to the drugstore and we can do that or we can order it to their neighborhood pharmacy, whatever is convenient for them or they feel comfortable with. How many patients have you spoken with in recent weeks that are concerned about having um, contracted the coronavirus? Have you seen quite a, a number of people? Yeah, quite a few. And, you know, the concern is real. The exposure is real. So people are concerned. They do call our clinic. They make appointments. And then we, um, you know, just like you and I are speaking, I'll speak to them and discuss their symptoms and help them figure out the best step for them. And it's around here it, for all of the COVID testing sites, I believe you do need a doctor's order to be tested. And that's something certainly that you can provide, correct? Absolutely. So there are two types of testing sites right now, um, generally speaking. Um, one is um, where any physician can order the test and patients can go to a drive through site and get the test done. These are by appointments only. Um, and then... Um, the other is people go directly to the ER and then they get evaluated there and they do it that way. Obviously, we'd like to keep people out of the ER and it would be better if they can speak to us first so we can triage them and minimize their exposure. So, I mean, if somebody is in need of a COVID test, obviously you don't want to send that through snail mail. You want to get that to them as soon as possible. Is that something that you could just email that order to them and then they could show the person at the drive through test site that, hey, this is what my doctor sent me? Yeah, it just, uh, you know, that depends on the testing site. For some, we can send it electronically and then it will transmit. For some, yeah, we can email it, but it just, um, it just depends on the situation and which lab or testing facility they'll be going to. I shouldn't say lab, testing facility. Sure, sure. And how long are your typical visits with the patient? Is it 15 minutes roughly? Roughly 15 minutes for urgent things, like if someone has got a cough or a cold or a stomach bug they're worried about. But, you know, we also do consultations, Chuck. So if someone, um, you know, is not necessarily acutely sick, but they'd like to get better control of their diabetes or high blood pressure or just um, their cholesterol. So we do consultations, which can be longer. It really depends on what the patient needs. 
I think that that really kind of clears up a lot about the telemed. I mean, it was a mystery to me. I haven't done it yet. Um, I know that, you you know, the appointments are all booked up, I'm sure, right now. But um, we are – well, actually, I shouldn't say that because I know now that we're accepting patients in a number of states, right? It's, it's not just D.C., Maryland, and Virginia anymore. Uh, Barnard Medical Center is able to reach a, a wide swath of people. That's right. We can actually see patients from New York or California or Missouri or Massachusetts. So, you know, we're trying to make our um, services available to people that are not in the immediate area because some people would like to consult with us without having to fly across the country. And especially now, they wouldn't want to fly. For sure. And I can't tell you how many times I've gotten an email from a listener asking for a reference to a good doctor who's familiar with plant-based nutrition. Uh, I think that this would be a really easy and convenient way to uh, to find that doctor if you're living in one of those states. And New York and California just so happen to be the states where the uh, most listeners of the exam room are. So... I will say, if you are in need of a plant-based doctor, head over to barnardmedical.org and you can schedule yourself a telemed visit with Dr. Vanita Raman right here, huh? Yeah, yeah, we'd love to see you. And, you know, I, I can't emphasize enough, I know everyone is really concerned about exposure to COVID-19, but we also need to take care of our health overall because we need to manage these other comorbidities so we can reduce our risk of having a complicated illness if we do get exposed. And just in case somebody's wondering, should they schedule an appointment to visit with you? Maybe they're feeling a little bit under the weather and they're concerned that it is COVID-19. What are the symptoms that would kind of lead you to believe that, yeah, maybe they should go get tested? So uh, a couple of things, you know, unfortunately we don't have enough tests to test everybody who may be symptomatic. So the recommendations from the CDC are to really test high-risk persons. So those are people who are either in need of hospitalization or or healthcare workers. Um, So for someone who's having mild symptoms, they may actually not even need to be tested, and we can evaluate them and tell them to sort of self-quarantine at home, take care of themselves, and check in with us in a few days and see how they're doing. Someone who's having more severe symptoms who I think would need to be in a hospital anyway, that is someone I would want tested because I'm thinking maybe they'll need more um, acute care shortly. And if somebody, unfortunately, does need to go to the hospital, you mentioned that you can send an order to one of the testing facilities. Can you also give the hospital a heads up that the patient is coming or how does that process work? Yeah, so, you know, Chuck, we do this in the clinic, too. We see people, even before the pandemic, we would see people in the clinic that would come see us, say, for chest pain or respiratory distress that we would need to send to the emergency room because we are concerned about something acute. And the way it works is we call the emergency room triage line. We either speak to a physician or nurse who is accepting those calls, and we explain the situation, why we're sending the patient, And then they are expecting to receive that patient within the hour. And then we arrange for a safe way for the patient to get there. You know, usually they can drive or maybe a family member can take them. So with telehealth, it would be no different. If I think someone is really sick, they need to be in the hospital, you know, I would work with them and a local hospital to facilitate that. 
Outstanding. Well, uh, Dr. Vanita Raman, I, I can't thank you enough for your time this afternoon. Uh, you have just really shed a whole lot of light in, uh, on something that is completely new to so many of us. So uh, I'm excited about this. I think that this actually could be the future of medicine. I, I agree, Chuck. I think um, if there is a silver lining in all of this, it's that, you know, the way we do certain things will change. In the future, we may use more telemedicine just because more patients and more healthcare providers will now feel comfortable with it. And it will, I think it will help us overall as a society. Dr. Fanita Raman, thank you again. Look forward to seeing you back in the real studio, hopefully in the near future. Definitely. Thank you, Chuck. Next week on the show, we are going to be paying our own virtual visit over to China. We're going to be joined again by Dr. Jia Zhu from Beijing. We've been hearing some promising news out of China this week, especially from the city of Wuhan, where the mandatory lockdown for residents has been lifted after 11 long weeks. Dr. Zhu is going to be giving us an idea of how life is returning to normal there. And we're also going to be discussing the controversial wet markets, which were outlawed at the beginning of this outbreak. Now there are unconfirmed reports that some of those are reopening. Now, this is of particular concern, if indeed true, because these exotic meat markets are where the COVID-19 virus is believed to have originated. Plus, we're going to be welcoming Dr. Hanna Kaliova back to the exam room. She and her team have just wrapped up some fascinating research on just how important sleep is when it comes to keeping your immune system at its best. You know, getting those eight hours is even more important than you would think. And the difference of falling short by just one hour? Man, that can be huge. So before any of those conversations take place, I would encourage you to head over to Apple Podcast or Spotify, wherever shows are available, and search for the Exam Room Podcast by the Physicians Committee. Hit that subscribe button right there and leave a five-star review. Because not only will you then begin to receive each new episode automatically, but you will also be helping to get this potentially life-saving information into the ears of someone who needs it the most. Because the more subscriptions and good reviews we receive, the higher the show climbs in the podcast rankings. And the higher the show climbs in the podcast rankings, the easier it is for people to find us and to learn this valuable, valuable health information. So thank you in advance for helping out with that. And thanks again also to the wonderful doctors, Neil Barnard, Jim Loomis, and Vanita Raman for joining us today. And for everyone here at the Physicians Committee, I am the weight loss champion, Chuck Carroll. Thank you so very much for listening. And remember, stay safe and keep it plant-based.